Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Like India said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard. Special welcome to anybody who is visiting for the very first time. Let's see a few new faces here today. And also welcome to anybody who's listening to us through our website or through our podcast. You're more than welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday morning. Well, uh, as India mentioned, I'm continuing our More Than We Can Imagine a sermon series, which sits neatly in our More Than We Can Imagine campaign, which basically uh, involves the purchase of this building. We've been blessed with an opportunity to purchase this building, and we've gone through Pledge Sunday, where families and individuals have made pledges, financial pledges, toward uh, helping us to purchase this space. And each and every week, I am confronted with a surprise from the Lord with regard to this uh, building. Pledges are still coming in. Uh, people both in and outside of our church are donating. We got a letter from the mayor of Homewood uh, two weeks ago, and in that letter was a, a check from the mayor of Homewood, a uh, donation toward our, uh, our building project. I was out of town last week, but when I got back, there was a voice message on my uh, voicemail from Pastor Jerry McQuay. Some of you know Pastor Jerry from the Christian Life Center in, in Tinley Park. And I called uh, Pastor Jerry back, and he informed me that his church was making a five-figure donation to our uh, giving campaign, which is just outstanding. I, I grew up in Chicago, and in, in the city of Chicago, the, the, my perception was that there was a lot of competition between the churches. And if you called up a pastor, they might ask you, what do you want? You know, <laughs> stay away from my sheep type of thing. But what we've been uh, blessed with in the south suburbs here is just we've just received a warm reception from the pastors in this community. In fact, the chairs that you're sitting on right now, when Christian Life Center got they, their new chairs, they, they sold us uh, these chairs at a fraction of the cost. And somebody even came behind us and offered Pastor Jerry more per chair, and he still sold them to us uh, for a really, really low weight. And so at this point, they've decided to sow generously into our campaign. And I have to tell you, um, I'm sure Pastor David mentioned this last week, that we are just amazed at what God is doing. We're amazed at the generosity. Again, not just you, but we've uh, believed that God had told us to uh, take some risk and ask our friends to participate in this. And uh, some of them have responded really kindly toward what God has doing. We're just a month or so into this thing, and so we expect that there will be a whole lot more. What's really cool is to see the testimonies and the stories that are already stirring within our community with regard to how God is blessing uh, throughout this campaign. If you recall, several months ago, we said that as we lean into this, we not only want to you know, expect funds to come in, that's a, that's a really important part of a, a capital campaign is that actual funds would come in, but we expect to see God move in our families, in our vocational life. We expected God to move in many, many areas uh, in our lives, and we just prepared you for the reality that testimonies would arise as we collectively lean into what God is doing. So I want to bring up uh, Jordan so he can share uh, his testimony about what God is doing during this campaign. So give him a hand as he comes. Good morning. Um, uh, like Gina said, my name is Jordan Arsenault. Um, my wife and I are the children's pastors here at the church. And uh, more than we can imagine, that is like totally our testimony since deciding to come with Gino and Shannon to help plant this church in the south suburbs from Champaign. Uh, we left our uh, television careers uh, down there and uh, kind of uprooted our family to kind of do something crazy and, and plant a church from scratch. And uh, Almost 10 years later, I've just seen God do so much more than I 
than I could have ever thought. Um, when, when we planted this church, I was uh, running, I was in the tech booth, I was doing the slides, and now I'm a pastor. Like, that was, that's more than I anticipated, way more than I anticipated. And, uh, you know, we really wanted to invest some money into what the church is doing here because we really f- take ownership of what happens at SSV. And we care about each and every one of the kids that are in our kids' ministry, and we really feel like when they spend time here and they spend time with their parents who come here, that they, they make a difference in their classrooms, in their little slice of life. And so we wanted to put our money where our mouth was. And when this campaign came up, we decided, we both decided on our own that we settled kind of on a, on a four-figure um, donation. We're like, that, that'll be good. And uh, as we were kind of thinking about it and we were challenged in faith, we're like, we could do a little bit better than that. And so we decided on our own and, you know, just reviewing our budget and what we thought was wise that, you know, we were going to give more. We're going to sacrifice a little bit more. We're gonna, it's going to have to pinch a little bit more. And about a month and a half ago, we were coming home from Craig and Nunez's house after small group. And we weren't even... Uh, in the small group, we actually were taking care of the kids that night. We were watching the kids in the basement. And Nikki looked over at me, and she says, I think we need to give more. I'm like, I really think we get, need to give more. And I'm like, we can't afford to give more. <laughs> um, uh, but I was kind of like, you know what? I, found that I, f- I felt like we needed a rounder number. And so we decided, okay, instead of a four-figure, we'll, we're going to do a five-figure. And uh, so that was, that was really stepping out in faith. About in January, another, I, wor- I currently work at a, at a TV station in Chicago. Another TV station kind of reached out to me and wanted me to come over and work for them. And so it was kind of in the offing. It, there wasn't really anything concrete. But around a week after we made, turned in our pledge card, I got a call that I was offered a position. And it was the exact amount of money that we pledged in, in, uh, in, in addition to what I make now. So it was, a, it was an increase in the exact amount of money that we had pledged to the giving campaign. So that's pretty coincidental. It's also like total God moment um, uh, and totally confirming what, you know, God had in mind when he put it on our hearts to give what we gave. And, and uh this last night, Nikki's like, well, now we got to give more. <laughs> like, because, you know, we, 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 we owe it to God. Um, uh, and just every step of the way, I really feel like that we've been, we've tried to be faithfully obedient to what God has called us to do. We've tried to, like, grow every step of the way, listen to the Holy Spirit. And I just feel like God has, like, showed up powerfully every step along the way. And, uh, and it's amazing what, what God can do um, uh, when, you have, when you believe and you have faith. So we just wanted to share that today. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. We will never turn down anybody's desire to give more. So if you feel like you need to give more, that's probably from the Lord. Amen? Well, on the heels of that uh, wonderful testimony, I just have an opportunity to conclude uh, the series that we've been in for the last couple of weeks, uh, a series we've been calling More 
than we can imagine in a series that really has at its foundation the scripture that we've just been standing on and leaning on this year, and that's found in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. And what we've been saying week after week, month after month, is that the more than we can imagine is not just us standing with a bucket under God's open heaven. Rather, it is God doing that more than we can imagine through us which basically means our hands are getting dirty with the raw materials of what God wants to produce in our life, which, you know, might be disappointing to some of you who just wanted to stand with your bucket and receive from the Lord. But it truly is, as Jordan and others can tell you, it truly is amazing to partner with God to experience the more of the Lord. And what we've been saying over and over is that in order for us to really engage with this, in order for us to really experience the more of the Lord, we need to continue put ourselves in a position to see God for who he really is. And as we see God for who he really is, there's something interesting. It like reflects back on us and we can see ourselves for who we really are. And the process of all of that and the outworking of all of that allows us to be more spiritually mature and position ourselves to be used by God in powerful ways. And so as we've journeyed through this series, we've talked about everything from partnering with God, taking risks, uh, discovering our purpose and why we're here. We talked about the implications of this with regard to discipleship and evangelism. David did a fantastic job of talking about this as it relates to healing. And I want to conclude this series by highlighting the fact that we serve a miracle-working God. We serve a miracle-working God. We can't really engage with this whole subject of more than we can imagine. We can't engage with it right unless we account for and budget for in our hearts and in our minds and in our spirits the reality that God can, will, and desires to do the miraculous among us. I've been saying uh, numerous times that our instinct is to reduce God down to something that we can understand, reduce God down to something that we can put in our shirt pocket, reduce God down to something that isn't as imposing and doesn't demand as much from us. But the real, true, and living God is vast. He's big. He's powerful. And if the scriptures, um, if we believe the scriptures and we believe the testimonies of the saints throughout the millennia, we see that God is a miracle working God. And a miracle is simply de defined as an extraordinary event which manifests divine intervention in human affairs. And so um, the miraculous is basically the divine, God's power, his presence, and his will interacting on our human existence, which allows for really awesome things to happen, things that would not ordinarily happen were it not for God's intervention. And the awesome thing within the context of what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks is that this miraculous, like, though God can do all this stuff himself, he can speak to things and change situations, God involves us. He involves us in the miraculous things that he wants to do, not just in our own personal life, but in the world around us. I was listening to my friend Kathy Mastel speak at the cause conference last week in, in Kansas City, and she said something that really helped to frame the reality of the miraculous and who and what God chooses to use as he does his extraordinary things, not just in our life, but in the world around us. She said, 
you can never be too small to be used by God. She continues by saying, but you can be too big. You can never be too small to be used by God or to experience the miraculous, but your situation, you, your situation, your resources, you can be too big. And as we walk this sermon out today, I think that'll make more sense, but it drives home this idea that God likes to take what seems like impossible situations. In fact, the miracles don't really work unless there's some desperation, unless there's some really strange circumstances that need like a right now blessing, right? Um, but oftentimes God uses us in the situations around us to work the miraculous. And if we're going to lean into this as individuals and as a church, to the more than we can imagine of the Lord, we have to have a grid, work, grid, a framework for the miraculous. And I want to talk about that this morning. I'm simply calling this message this morning, more with less. More with less. And I'm sure this will make sense in the scheme of our life as a church with this building campaign. And I got to believe that in a crowd this size, that this will make sense to some of your situations as you need God to show up in a mighty way. We're going to look at this morning at a passage of scripture in Judges chapter 6. Would you turn there with me in your Bibles, Judges chapter 6? If you don't have a Bible, by the way, there are Bibles on the edges of your rows. Feel free to interact with the Scriptures through that Bible, uh, paper Bible on the edges of your rows. We'll also be projecting the Scriptures on the screens in front of you. Feel free also to use your tablets or your phones if you like. But we'll be looking at Judges chapter 6. And while you find that, let me pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for community. We thank you so much for this opportunity to gather with your people in your house today uh, as we experience, at least seek to experience, the more than we can imagine, the more of the Lord. And so, Father, we know that you can do a whole lot with just a little. And, Father, I pray that that reality would be, that, that would be real to us today. We would be able to contextualize that in our own lives today. I pray that you would put the goods on a low shelf so that everybody today can come and grab a hold of it. Put power in these words, Lord, that you've given me to speak. Move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth and your light might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. amen. So we're in the Old Testament book of Judges, and we're looking at one of uh, Israel's judges, uh, a guy named Gideon. And some of you are familiar with that that name, Gideon. And Gideon was a judge, and the judges were a little different from kings. God's people before King Saul did not have kings. Instead, they were ruled or governed by uh, judges, and judges were tasked to lead and govern Israel on God's behalf. They administered justice, they settled disputes, and they were dependent, the judges were, on the will and the law of God, and they would bring those things before the people and provide leadership in that way. And the judges existed before the people demanded a king, the first king of Israel being King Saul. And so we read Gideon's story in Judges chapter 6 through chapter 8. And for the sake of time, we're going to sort of skip around in Judges, particularly Judges 6 and 7. And so hopefully we can uh, pull out a few important things as we see that God likes to do more with less. I'm starting at chapter 6, verse 1. It reads as follows. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains and caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, 
camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I bought you out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. Verse 11, then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the green tree at Ophrah which belonged to Joash of the clan of Ebiezer. Uh, Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat in the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites, things that got really bad for them. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Verse 14, then the Lord returned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Gideon replied, if you're truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that this is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. He answered, I will stay here with you until you return. Now notice, I'll be hopping around uh, uh, Judges 6 and 7, but to me, this is a really, really fascinating story. And if you're like me, sometimes you forget about Bible characters like this until it comes up in your devotional reading or until you hear a sermon about it. But this story uh, uh, concerning Gideon, to me, is a really fascinating one. And it really speaks to where I am in my life right now. Uh, the story of Gideon is a case study on the miraculous. And as we look at bits and pieces of this story, we'll find that it's appropriate, especially appropriate for where we are with this building campaign, this huge thing that lies before us. And on a personal level, uh, it, it is very applicable to where I am right now. I get a lot out of Gideon's story at this moment. And I might also imagine that in a room this size, some of you are dealing with some particular situations where if God doesn't show up, and I mean show up soon, and show up in a powerful way, whether it be regarding your finances, whether it be regarding your job, or whether it be regarding your relationships, or something significant to you, like you need God to show up in a mighty way, and the things or the raw material, or what you might assess is already in you, isn't simply, it simply is not enough for the task. Not quite enough to get the thing done, and so you might lean in today because you identify with this story. But I've come here to say that uh, God can do a whole lot with just a little. And some of you say, good, because that's all I got. <laughs> a little bit less than a little. I'm like, I'm in the red here. And it's like encouraging to realize and discover, especially through Scripture, that God has historically even preferred to do the most 
with the least. And so I want to pull out four important things here as we try to understand how God wants to do more with less and how this might speak to our situation as a church and as individuals today. The first thing I see is that God seems to do his best work in tight situations. God seems to do his best work in tight situations. He, he almost seems to prefer it. And so when everything is going well in your life and all sorts of things happen, you, know, you, you can't really see God, you can't really perceive him as, as much as you can when things are really, really tight. And I am reminded as I engage this truth that God does everything for his glory and for our ultimate good. I know it may not seem that way in the moment, might not seem that way where you are right now, but ultimately the scriptures declare that God will work all things together for our good in the end, eventually, and that God does all things for his glory and not for ours. And for his glory to be made known, much like light shines brightest in darkness, oftentimes God showing up in dark, dangerous, uh, 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 situations that seem hopeless, that, that, that seems like where God likes to hang out. There's something about God coming through when things are tight, when things seem impossible, that boosts our faith. It reminds us of the character and nature of God, things that we have forgotten, and it reacquaints us with this reality that God is a miracle-working God. And Gideon is about to discover this because he is, and his people, they're in a really tight spot. Scriptures tell us that God handed them over to the Midianites. Also tells us that the Midianites uh, were cruel, and so cruel that they had to, God's people had to go find hiding places. They had to go hide in the mountains. I had to carve out little places to hide because these folks were so cruel. They come in droves and destroy their crops just for sport. They run off with all their sheep and all their cattle, and they come as thick as locusts, the Scripture said. It's too numerous to count, and everything was stripped bare when it was all said and done. And God's people, not the pagans, but God's people were reduced to starving. They were reduced to starving. And so the picture that the author paints here is a picture of desperation. A picture of desperation. A picture where if God doesn't show up, all of our crops, all of our animals, all the things that we need to live and eat and make a living and feed our families, all those things are constantly being destroyed. Um, we're in a season of desperation where if something doesn't change, we're doomed. And I wonder how many of you here today would just, I mean, that would be your assessment of your situation. If something doesn't change, maybe you got a diagnosis. Maybe your marriage is on the brink of collapse. And maybe you've gotten all the way down to the end of your resources with no new resources in sight. And you would just be able to identify with this season of desperation. I think it's also important to acknowledge that this particular tight spot was their own doing right? The scriptures are clear telling us that they are in this spot simply because like many uh, have before and many after these folks, they had forgotten God. They'd gone their own way. They're living in these foreign lands among these foreign people, worshiping other gods, forgetting God's standard. 
and their desperate situation is their own doing. But some of you are here today, and you're in desperate situations, and it's due to no fault of your own. Uh, somebody has offended you. Somebody has acted upon you, and you're in this desperate spot, and you didn't particularly cause it. Well, throughout the canon of Scripture, we see God rescuing people, working miracles, being an awesome deliverer, regardless of whether or not you caused it or not. And so I think this is good news for some of us who have made our own messes, right? You're at the end of your resource because you don't know how to, you know, put away the credit card. Or your marriage is destroyed because you have made some mistakes, or maybe you were unfaithful, or you have been unattentive over the years. It's your own fault, but regardless of how you found yourself in a desperate spot, God still seems willing to do the miraculous as we see in Gideon's situation here. Somebody once said that God's address, where he lives, is at the end of our rope. And so some of you have gotten there, and you might have been camped out there for a while. And so this is good news for you, that God does some of his best work in tight situations. The second truth that I think is borne out in this particular passage is that God selects unlikely heroes. God selects unlikely likely heroes. And if you're familiar with Gideon's story, you know that this rings true. And that God uses unlikely people to get things done. And this is borne out all throughout Scripture from cover to cover, that God oftentimes looked over the mighty warrior and, and, and selects to do something really big and something really important and something really significant, the person that everybody else would look over. And this is the reality in Gideon's life, and some of you have found that this is true in your life with how God has worked with you. This is what happens. The angel of the Lord, verse 11, came and sat beneath the great tree at Over, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. And even the scene that is set here is not, you know, Gideon doing something brave. He's not sharpening his sword with his shirt off as mighty warriors do out in the public, just daring somebody to come. Like he's down in the wine press, and he's not crushing grapes, but he's threshing wheat, which basically means that he's taken the wheat from the place where you normally thresh it, the expected place, because the Midianites have been coming and taking their things. He's down hiding in the wine press, and he's down there threshing wheat. There's nothing like Herculean about this. Some might say that this is cowardly might be wise, but we don't find Gideon at his best moment. Verse 14 says, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites I am sending you. So the Lord commissions him to be the guy to fix this situation. But Gideon says this, But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least and my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. So I like, I like to, I'm a visual learner, so I like to picture what's happening here, right? Spirit of the Lord shows up and says to Gideon, mighty man, mighty man of God. And Gideon, I imagine, looks over his shoulder and wonders if somebody else came in the room because he, he, what he knows of himself, the Lord could not possibly be speaking to him. The Lord says, mighty warrior, mighty man. And Gideon says, who, who else is here? Who are you talking to? 
Why? Because Gideon understands his situation. And no doubt he's defined himself, as we often do and allow others do, by what we understand about ourselves. But how many of you know that the God of heaven and earth comes to you and sees you not as you are, but he sees you according to who he called you to be? We talk a lot around here about our identity, particularly our identity in Christ. And our identity in Christ is not particularly defined by who you are right now or what you're doing right now or what you even did last night. And somebody should say amen because that's good news. Instead, when God comes to find us, whether we're sharpening our sword with our shirt off to to be seen by others as mighty and awesome, or we're cowering somewhere because we've caved into the pressure of our current circumstance, God comes to us and he still sees us who he created us to be. And regardless of, you know, Gideon's status in his family or even the present circumstance, it's clear, it's clear that God has called Gideon to participate in something significant, so significant that it is now included in the canon of Holy Scripture. And so what this might mean for us is that we might have to, you know, shake off some of the labels that our circumstances might have put on us. We might have to, in favor of what God says about us and who God says we're, we might have to shake off some things that what might even seem like obvious realities as a result of what we've done or who we are in our family or what our pedigree, pedigree is or our education. Like, I want to know, like, who, who does God say I am? Who, who does God say I am? Because who God says I am comes along with God's equipment for the task that he's put me on this earth uh, to, to, to carry out. And so he comes to Gideon, and Gideon says, listen, you can't be talking to me. I'm the weakest in my whole family. You can't be talking to me. But God selects unlikely heroes. And I wonder how many of us have sat on the sidelines of a game that God wanted us to star in because of what we thought of ourselves. How many of us have robbed ourselves of opportunities to participate in God's big plan for our life to bring deliverance, to bring hope, and to bring restoration and change and transformation to people and situations, but because of what we thought of ourselves? Because of somebody else's opinion of us, we've allowed ourselves to, to, to be idle and to take ourselves out of a game that God is calling us to star in, who among us might, vi- uh, might, might benefit this morning from what God says about you. That you're a mighty man, you're a mighty woman of God, that you are a son and you are a daughter with purpose and destiny, a hope and a future. How many of us might benefit from embracing and walking out that reality that God selects unlikely heroes. Third and really important discovery that we make as we walk through this text is that God desires all the glory, which helps us make sense of the first two things that we talked about, is that God seems to stroll in when all hell is breaking loose. He seems to arrive late right? We read stories in scripture where the person is dead and Jesus is showing up. They're like, man, it's too late now. He's dead. He stinks by now, right? Why didn't you come earlier? 
And Jesus shows up when the proverbial house is on fire and it's collapsing and the gas tank is rupturing and Jesus just sort of strolls in. What's, what's going on, guys? Because he wants to get the glory. Jesus often steps over and moves aside as we see throughout all of Scripture, the people who look strong and up for the task. Why? Because God wants to get the glory. And God's dealings with humanity throughout history, especially as detailed in the Scriptures, always show us that we can never be too small to be used by God, but God often rejects those who have too much resource or too much status or think too much of themselves because, well, we have a tendency to desire the glory. We have a tendency to desire the credit. And the scriptures tell us that God will share his glory and God will share the credit with no man. He's just kind of like that. He's just kind of funny like that, right? So it's always wonder that God shows up late. No wonder he does his best work in sticky situations. No, matter he, no wonder he selects the most unlikely heroes because God desires to get glory. So Gideon is in this tight spot. God has selected him, an unlikely hero, to be the deliverer for his people, to lead them. And so the Lord has a plan, right? So we pick this story up in verse 34. Here's what we read. Then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power, equipped him for the task. He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms. He like he needs some people to help him go after the Midianites. And the men of the clan of Ebiezer came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, summoning their warriors, and all of them responded. Now we're cooking, right? Gideon's like, we got to get, get some boys to help us out with this. We got to blow the horn, sound the alarm, and all of these guys come running. And the scriptures tell us, if you read, 32,000 men show up. We're ready now. 32,000 men. That's good, right? You haven't read the story. That's wrong. It's not good. The Lord is not pleased with this number. Chapter 7, verse 2 tells us why. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. And get this, out of 32,000 men, 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. 32,000 guys, like, yeah, now we're cooking. Yeah, you, you told me, Lord, I was a mighty man, and you're right. I just blew a horn, and all these cats showed up, right? <laughs> but the Lord says, no, man. No, 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 too many too many, right? And what scriptures reveal is that some of those guys were in the back shaking in their boots, and the Lord just said, hey, listen, let, let anybody who needs to go home, tell them to go home, and like probably before he can get it out, <laughs> 22,000 guys scatter. And so he's left with 10,000. Well, 10,000, that's pretty good. I can work with that. This is a good number. Let's go fight, right? Wrong. Verse 4, but the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, they told 
uh, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. And one group put all those who cup water into their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. And the other group put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouth in the stream. Verse 6 tells us only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank uh, with their mouths in the stream. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So Gideon collected the provisions and ram's horns of the other warriors and sent them home, but he kept 300 men with him. And so we go from 32,000 fellas to 300. And I, I would think as I do that math, I think we're heading the wrong way. Like, we shouldn't be going down. We should be picking up more men. The scriptures already told us that the Midianites were too numerous. Their camels were too numerous to count. And so why is the Lord just like shrinking down this number and shrinking down this number? And he's, he's making this like an impossible, like really sticky situation, a really tight situation that only God can... Oh, right. He does his best work in tight situations... And some of you, this reality might help you make sense of your current situation and God's seeming delay and the God's ability to shrink your resource and shrink your capacity to the point where what you need done cannot and will not get done without his help. Because if you're like me, you can be confident in your own abilities, right? And by confident, I'm just putting proud in a nice way, right? I'm just, I'm just saying it nicely, but really it's our pride. We can become a little overconfident in our own ability to get things done. Maybe we're good at our business realm. Maybe we're good with people. We can talk our way out of situations, and the Lord will fix it for your good and for his glory so that none of that works. And maybe you're a person of means and you've had wealth. And this situation that you have cannot be bought. The solution can't be bought. Or maybe you're a woman and you've learned to use your sexuality or your body to get an advantage. And this particular situation, like it can't be seduced. It cannot be manipulated. Or perhaps what you are good at. And what naturally opens doors for you or naturally moves mountains just simply cannot because God has con configured the situation so that you can understand that it's him who pulls the strings and not you. That it's him that, that is your source and your sustainer and your provider and not you. And this is a hard lesson that we all must learn because it brings us down to size. And it reminds us that God wants to work through us, within us, but it's him who will do the heavy lifting. Sure, we got to bring something to the party. We got to bring our little something. But unless God puts his super to our natural, the thing doesn't go. And this is a lesson that Gideon is learning. Midianites were too numerous to count. But the Lord has fixed this so that Gideon is to go with 300 men to do what he's supposed to do. And this illustrates our fourth and final discovery, and that is that God's plans are not our plans. God's plans are not our plans. 
when I have sober eyes and a heart, just to look back over my life and look back over the plans that I offered God, but he rejected for some crazy reason, at the end of my plans, I got glory. The, end, the, the, the plans that I was the architect of, people made much of me. But he sure is smart. Boy, he, he really pulled that together, didn't he? That Gino is something else. <laughs> and if you just take an honest you know, few minutes to assess your own situations and, and the plans that you rendered to God, you know, it's, it's not God who gets the glory at the end of that. Right? And you might be unconsciously doing this, but the things that you construct, I mean, when I consider my plan for this building campaign is that we would set a figure over a million dollars. Like, my vision casting and my fundraising abilities would be, like, so pristine that, like, we get all of the money we need in cash, like, on Pledge Sunday from a single donor, and we just kind of coast until it's time to go to the bank. Right? Well, I have alternate versions of that, but all, all those alternate versions, like, it could be said that, hey, we're glad that Gino was at the helm of this. But God seems to be going a little slower than I, I, than I told him to go. Maybe he hasn't opened the envelope that has my plans, you know, detailed out. And somebody said, uh, once said, if you, if you want to make God laugh, just, just tell him your plans. Just tell them your plans in the quiet of your prayer time. Be real quiet, and what you'll hear is, is heavenly laughter. <laughs> because the Lord, he sees around corners that we can't see around. That his actions and even his inactions are working thousands of things at once when selfishly my plans only make my life better. And were God to enact my plans, it would totally disrupt what he wants to teach me, what he wants to show me. And it's probably something much smaller than what God wants to accomplish in my life and in your life. And so some of us need to wrestle this reality today because you're upset with God because he didn't do like what you wanted him to do. And that's just like your kid getting upset with you because you won't let them have candy all day. They don't know the implications of that, right? You need teeth later. <laughs> you need nutrition, nutritional value in those carrots and in those broccoli sticks. And the kid who, who can only see, you know, the advantage point is just so small. His world is so small. The tension stand is just so small. And so why don't you just let me have Skittles? Why don't you let me do this? Why don't you let me run into the street? There's way more room in the street than in our driveway. Just let me run out there. Right? But your vantage point, you said, no, you've lived. You know that this happens, and you know all the rules, and you know, and you know that there's a crazy you know, family down the street that rides their ATV down the middle of the road. You just, you just know more. And so it would be foolish, irresponsible of God to listen to us. And if you've walked with the Lord for more than three months, you know that his plans are not our plans. His ways, for, for good reason, for good reason, are not our ways. We see this in verse 15 when God finally reveals the plan to Gideon. 
when Gideon heard the dreams and its interpretation, so basically Gideon uh, snuck down to the enemy's camp and had heard that the people were having dreams. And basically these dreams were basically telling them that the people of God would have victory over them. And this sort of boosts Gideon's faith. And so we pick up in verse 15. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed and worshiped before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, Get up, for the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. He divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. There's 300 men. They're already short, going up against a vast Midianite army. And maybe, I don't have the translation, but where, where did the swords and the arrows dipped in poison? Like, where are those at in the plan? Maybe I'm missing a page here. But verse 6 says that he divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. No swords, no arrows. I imagine they eventually had a sword. But that wasn't a part of the main plan. God's plans are not our plans. Verse 17, then he said to them, keep your eyes on me. When I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. As soon as, as, as I and those with me blow their ram's horn, blow your ram's horn too, and all around the entire camp and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Sounds like a really... Also, more strategy. It was just after midnight, verse 19, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly, they blew their ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands. Again, still no swords. And they all shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood in his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 uh, Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. Those who were not killed fled to places as far away as Beshetah, near Zerahai, and to the border of Abel-Moholah, excuse me, near Tabith. Now this is interesting, right? You know, me, I just, I want the strategy with the knives and the spears. I want it to be like Gladiator, right? You see the movie? But it, but it wasn't like that at all. What's true is that had these 300 men took a more conventional, uh, uh, convention, uh, conventional, thank you, conventional war strategy, they would have been swallowed up. Instead, God's plans, which was a little off the beaten path, caused them to attack themselves, kill themselves. Those that weren't killed were chased off. And if you read uh, chapter 8, you'll find that their allies helped them uh, secure a victory. What does this say to us? What does this say to us? What does this say to us? This says that we cannot possibly experience the miraculous. We cannot experience the more of the Lord unless there is a willingness to trust God and his plan. We cannot experience the miraculous. We cannot experience the more of the Lord unless there is a willingness to trust God 
and his plan. Because there's several points along the way of Gideon's story where I would have pulled that little rope on this crazy train and I would have gotten off. God, you tell me, I already don't have that much self-confidence. You give me 32,000 brothers, and then you take much, many of them away. This is insane. Then you lead me down here to do this, and I got to go with some clay jars and a torch and a ram's horn. Come on, pull this thing extra hard. Let me off of here. And many of you, that's where you are right now. You, you've gotten off of God's crazy train before you saw, like, the unfolding, the faithful unfolding of his plan. And your cry was, it didn't work. Well, it does work, it, well, you just have to stay on the train. <laughs> it does work, you just have to be patient to watch the glorious unfolding, which usually happens at a slower clip than what you prefer. The slow, glorious unfolding of the Lord. I love to hear Jordan's story over the years uh, uh, because each and every chapter of his story is more glorious unfolding of God. And it gets more gloriouser and gloriouser as the chapters are written. But what I love about him and his wife's story and many others in this room is that they have just stayed on the train. And they've been able to see the miraculous unfolding, the miraculous things, things that they could never imagine, things that they could not possibly make all happen on their own, just because they've started. The starting point was a deep and abiding faith in Jesus Christ. Now, he gave you a real tight version of his story. Much of his story includes some really tight spots. Much of it includes a lot of chaos and pain and discomfort and loss. But that slow, glorious unfolding, we will never experience it unless we stay on the train and unless we begin with a deep abiding faith in Jesus Christ that says, yes, Lord, before we know the details. Because if you can say yes before you know the details, when the crazy details emerge, you're likely to stay on the train. And I already said just a few moments ago that some of us, where we are right now, we've gotten off the train prematurely and we haven't experienced the more of the Lord. And that's where you are right now. My guess is that in a room this size, that some of you are about to get off and the Lord would just quicken you in this moment to trust him. I want you to sit with that for a few seconds because I think this could save you a lot of trouble and a lot of heartache and a lot of pain. And some of you are tired right now, not because God hasn't showed up, but you keep, have to, you keep starting over because you keep getting off. Now, you love it, the roller coaster ride, the good stuff, you love that. But when it gets tight and when it gets dark and you can't see, like you want to get off. And some of you, your story has been marked by starting over, over and over, over and over because you haven't, like, rested in God's plan. And so I believe the Lord sent me here this morning to give some of you a warning to, to, to hang tight. And maybe this is, you know, your relationship status is not what you want it to be. Maybe you're single and want to be married. Maybe you're married and you want to be <laughs> single. And the Lord sent me down here this morning to tell you to wait to see the glorious unfolding of the Lord.
wait with deep and abiding faith. Look behind you at the monuments of God showing up over and over and over and over and over, and you would realize that he has never, as the old folks say, he never failed me yet. He never failed me yet. And so I believe that, that we are to see more miraculous in our life. And this is more than just limbs growing back and cancer, you know, lumps falling off of people. I, I believe God for that too, but I mean just some, some real life stuff that like will not be upset unless God intervenes. A deep and abiding peace that just won't come were it not for God like imparting that into your life. Relationships so deeply fractured that if God doesn't put his salve on it, it doesn't heal. Like a child is just acting a fool. Nobody can get to. Only the Lord can reach that heart. Like that's, those are the type of miraculous things that I'm talking about. And certainly there are those among, among us who have health issues that are well beyond the point uh, that the doctor can do anything about. Your money can't fix it. Your connections can't fix it. And I'm just believing God in this season that the Lord would just heal as we lean together that we would experience the more of the Lord more than we can imagine. And that God would be working things out that we don't even know are being worked out until it is revealed to us, you know, the, 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 the situation has, have, 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 having been fixed. But we must stay on God's crazy train because it is going to someplace and it is a glorious destiny, friends. And I'm preaching this message to myself and I'm preaching this message to our congregation because this giving campaign, this building campaign, I believe will astound us. And it will bear testimonies, both corporately and individually, that like we, we can't even imagine at this point. I'm just going to put that out there. May it be so in Jesus' name. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your truth. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Lord, to partner with you and be a part of your big story. Father, I pray for those of us who are tempted to pull the cable and get off the train prematurely. Those of us who have grown tired of waiting, your plans make no sense, your timing is off, and so, Lord, we've grown weary and frustrated, and we want to prematurely jump off this thing. Lord, I just pray that you would sustain us, that you would keep us that you would release in this place the gift of faith. Hope and faith would be stirred to rise again. And those of us who've grown weary and distracted and disappointed, Father, would find new faith and hope in you again. May we watch and wait for that glorious unfolding. May we see the miraculous. May we realize, Father, that you love to do more with less. Make it so in our life. Make it so in our life. And may you continue to cement this reality in our hearts as we worship you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.